So to introduce this specific talk, it will happen between uh, curator Koyo Kuo and artist uh, Miriam Siowaya Kiambi and James Maruki. I'll give them a very, very brief introduction. Um, Koyo is the founding artistic director of Raw Material Company in Dakar in Senegal. Um, Koyo has, um, was educated in uh, banking, administration and cultural management in Switzerland and in France. Uh, besides a sustained theoretical program and exhibition at Raw Material Company, she maintains um, dy a dy dynamic curatorial activity beyond African borders. She is also educational curator of 154 Forum. Miriam is a multimedia artist living and working in Nairobi, Kenya. Um, Kiambi's work uh, dissects and brings into question perception and memory, examining how contemporary human experience is influenced, is influenced by the constructed history um, of the past and the present, violence, col colonialism, uh, family and sexuality. She has received several prestigious awards and grants, which I won't mention, but there are many. Um, James is an artist who lives and works in Nairobi also. Um, he primarily utilizes lens-based media in his practice that revolves around the transition of society and the development of rapid, rapidly evolving urban um, spaces, whether it is uh, in his native Nairobi or in other spaces. He has collaborated with artists, um, attended residencies and workshops in several countries, as well as being a grants recipient. Um, please welcome our distinguished panel. Thank you. Thank you, Jose. Uh, hello. Hi, Miriam, and hi, James. Um, thank you for taking the time to come and listen to us. Uh, the forum conversations this year have a high uh, focus on artist talks because we believe that it is a, a very appropriate format to get insight into an artist an artistic practice and uh, and I have to say that for myself for this specific talk it's also a discovery and learning experience because Miriam and, uh, and James are two artists that I'm just getting to know more since a few months now and uh, starting to work with and I'm very very pleased to to have them here in London present and uh, to do this talk with you. So uh, I, uh, I, I will maybe go quite straight into my uh, desire to, uh, to do this talk because I was very pleased to find out uh, that uh, James and Miriam, beyond being a prolific artist and uh, kind of the new emerging voices in the uh, in the scene in Africa and particularly in uh, in Kenya uh, that they are also a couple. So I was very interested to to uh, to discuss all these uh, you know mechanisms and all these influence of being a, a, a sentimental couple but also an artistic couple mm -hmm. and how that plays into the collaboration, into the production, the personal, the professional mm -hmm. and so on. And also the, the, the quite different backgrounds 
uh, artistic backgrounds that to bring that you bring into 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 the collaboration. I mean, James, you are very clearly heavily uh, comes from the you come from the photography and video uh, and design kind of practice. And Miriam, you 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 come from a quite a classical art historical mm -hmm. art practice, but using installation performance and tactility mm. into, into your work. And uh, I think the, the, the easiest will be actually that you begin to tell us yeah. <laughs> what, what, how you define your practice mm -hmm. and, uh, and what your practice is about. Yeah, and what we thought we'd do is just take you guys through a couple of our works as individuals and then also to share projects we've done and ideas we've had, just to give you a bit of a background. Otherwise, it'll be very hard to have a, a conversation. Um, so just a bit of backdrop. This is a project I worked on and presented in 2011 at Kovola Art Museum. It's called Fracture. It's um, an installation um, and performance. A lot of my work uses performance to change an installation. Um, and this was a lot to do with history and as well as like colonial history and also a temporary, a contemporary time. Um, and kind of the, the figure in the center with the sisal has lots of references to, um, I guess the sisal itself was like a sisal factories and coffee factories were in the colonial time very much a non-black space in terms of ownership, um, money making. And also the beads is a reference to trade. And within the performance, I kind of destruct these um, ceramic pots, um, which represent kind of a life um, and culture, and my own cultural heritage from Kenyan's aspect, and also how I feel um, we're also self-destructing in this present time. So it has a funny play with past time and present time. And um, it goes to unravel and become a woman that I've kind of developed in my work, which I'll explain more in a bit. Um, she's somebody who's coming from Kirinyaga, uh, which is, in a, I use Kirinyaga because that's also where James comes from and it was a reference point for me for uh, women who are coming from upcountry, moving into the city and trying to deal with city life, um, trying to become, I guess, wanting a double-story house, wanting two cars, wanting a boy and then a girl and in that order and there's, I meet a lot of women in Nairobi who have this mindset that this is the main goal. So I'm, I, I'm still exploring that character today. And she kind of gets ready for the day. But she doesn't cope. She falls down repeatedly in the work. And she mourns a destruction. She mourns a past. She tries to reassemble the vessels. And then I become myself, which is also a funny um, reoccurrence in my current performance work, where me as the artist comes into the work as a character. Um, and I suspend the, the ceramic, um, the sisal costume is kind of suspended above images that are clouds, black and white clouds repeatedly, with a mirror. Mirrors are often a use I use repeatedly in my work as well. Um, so it's like a void. A space also where you see yourself. You, the viewer, me, the artist. 
and then just to, to jump into today, <laughs> this year. So it's the same character, actually, uh, except she's harsher. Um, this is Between Us, a recent work I did, um, pre performed live this year, but started working on last year. And it's connected, loosely connected to Fracture, um, which then evolved into a new work. That also is re repeated for me, that things are always interconnected. Um, and here she's more, uh, she cuts across the room and uh, collides into the walls, also not coping with her current situation. This is a performance that uses, um, I worked with multiple people, seven, we were seven for this live work. And um, some of them come from a dance background. One of them is a polytechnic student. Um, the work is organic. It's supposed to keep changing. Um, if it's represented, it could use new people. It's not static. It's not supposed to stay in one way. It's very layered. Lots of characters, lots of stories. A lot like how life, life is. And a lot of input. There's a lot of improvisation. Uh, the dancers came up with their own poses within the space. Exploring um, perception and how you're perceived and feelings of vulnerability. And kind of an interruption. And also, I mean, what, what I'm presenting is really, it's hard to show you a lot because it's always, my work is very layered. So I always feel like I can't show you everything in such a short time. But I wanted to give you a bit of an overview. Um, you can get a, feel, a feeling for the work. And the audience could be anywhere within the space, and that's also, the audience becomes a, quite a large component of the piece. They, they see themselves, they watch each other, um, we watch them. This happened at the Godown Art Center in Nairobi. So there's an overlap in a strange way between me and James because I feel like I focus very much so in, on the, the personal and the intricate and the intimate. Um, but our subject matter is similar, but I think we can get into that after James has presented a bit of what he wants to give you an overview of him as an independent person. <laughs> Koya's dream of putting us as a utopic couple is getting slowly dissected. <laughs> you will not escape. <laughs> so I... I I will start off by sort of um, mentioning um, something that relates to this piece. This piece is called um, Replacements. And, um, you know, it's sort of um, an array of images that um, I've taken over um, a period of time. But I'll straight go into what sort of fed this kind of piece of work. Um, you know, I, I grew up in sort of virgin lands, sort of spaces that were not necessarily highly sort of um, mutilated by sort of contemporary life. And, um, you know, fast forward to my sort of um, my contemporary life um, in Nairobi and I'm sure across many other cities um, in other African cities. Um, you know, I was confronted by this image of um, structures that are under construction. And, um, 
you know, when we were growing up, a lot of us were told that, um, you know, development is having all these sort of buildings and physical forms that are, I would call, sculptures of our times. Um, and a lot of people aspire to have um, sort of these structures around the environment as a, a symbol of growth and moving forward. Um, but then for me, my interest became more, um, yes, there's all these structures that are coming up, but what is it that uh, they mean? What do they mean? What is underlying that development? Um, so, you know, I, you know, I kept photographing all these buildings that are sort of covered in a way questioning what is the soul that is developing in this sort of womb that we can not necessarily tell what's going on inside. Um, so more or less to, to question rather than to give answers of what's going on. And this, um, you know, replicates because, um, you know, land for the longest time has been a contested resource. I don't even know whether to call it a resource. Um, in, in Kenya and many, I'm sure many other countries uh, where people don't have social security systems, um, land becomes sort of an object that grounds them, something that give them, gives them a worth in living. So, um, you know, during the colonial struggle, the key, um, the key element or the key um, um, term that a lot of the so-called freedom fighters kept mentioning was land. We want our land back because they knew what that means for themselves. It's what defines them as a society. But then in the contemporary sort of uh, living, um, you know, land becomes sort of this um, capital element that everyone is struggling for. And when the city becomes very expensive, then the next place to expand into is sort of the vicinity of the cities. So, you know, you go along major sort of roads that have come up, you find structures that, like that coming up. Um, and with that, I sort of went out even wider to start investigating what is happening in spaces that are, I don't know, 70 miles uh, outside of Nairobi. And this is sort of the landscapes that, um, uh, I mean, some of them are very picturesque and very beautiful and something that a lot of Kenyans take pride in. Uh, but shortly, this is not going to sort of be there anymore. It's going to be transformed into spaces for living. Um, I went up um, hills that are very near Nairobi called the Ngong Hills. And um, it's a space where a lot of people are spending time uh, picnicking and just hanging out. And uh, I mean, you can tell by that image there. Um, but the sort of the needs of contemporary life are starting to transform these spaces. So the hills now, I mean, there was quite a lot of bush here before, but now the hills are being sort of uh, mowed down and uh, roads are getting constructed there for geothermal power stations to start sort of, um, to sort of power the city. And this is sort of the kind of, you know, living that you see around there, which Starts, you start seeing a lot of contestation between sort of this and sort of you see the pylons in the background there. Um, one of the sort of one of the um, the drivers of sort of transformers of spaces is religion, specifically in Kenya, is um, Christ, the Christian church. And what happens in these sort of rural communities, where land ownership was not. Um, restricted to one person, but um, was owned communally, what happens now is people who are sort of, I guess, you know, in, in capital sense, sort of much more 
um, interested in owning things and sort of calling things themselves, they start establishing structures that are semi-permanent, like this church. And with that church, then other things like schools, you know, the church will say, okay, we're doing the work of God. We need to develop the community here. We need to start moving people from traditional lives. Let's, you know, the first thing they want, they push for is a school. So the church first and then the school. And if we go back 100, 150 years ago, that's the same process that happened. Missionaries came in, introduced churches, and the next thing is to educate people. So introduce schools to people. And then society changes after that. So here you start seeing uh, trucks and tractors, uh, you know, coming in, um, you know. Um, recently, Kenya adopted new constitution to sort of um, to move the energy, the center of uh, the center of energy and the center of power, of power from Nairobi as a city into much smaller units, um, which are the counties, and. Each of these counties now is struggling sort of to um, advertise or promote their own space as a space for investment. But in investment, you can see what sort of Im imagination uh, people are having. This is the kind of future that people imagine for themselves. So these lands, they, 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 they hope for some of these sort of politicians or these sort of married people is to convert these sort of lands into that kind of Dubai-ish, you know, nothing against Dubai, but I think that's the image that they have of contemporary living. And then the next phase is housing. Now, housing, you know, I started by mentioning land, but, you know, land by extension, by extension, um, you need a space to live in, in that piece of land. So housing and building has become a huge, huge object for people to not only identify themselves with, but something that they feel safe to have. But also, besides that, then um, the money market comes in and starts investing in uh, construction of, you know, houses, you know. Um, so anyway, you see a lot of this uh, along the main highways. And nearer to, in this, uh, to the city, um, it's not only housing that is being pushed forward, it's um, um, shopping malls and sort of uh, contemporary sort of communal urban sort of um, living spaces with malls, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, this, in a way, is quite um, is quite worrying for me because, yes, you know, it's happening in communities or in areas where people lived communally, but uh, the same communal living is being introduced in a very sort of um, I don't know what word to use. I guess in in high capital sort of um, um, brackets. And a lot of people will never be able to afford to live in some of these spaces. Yet, uh, the people who are using this word know exactly that. So they're exploiting um, the word communal living uh, uh, to sort of advance their... Anyway, I'll just keep going. Um, um, then the next thing that I did was to look at, okay, there's all these chunks of land and soil and rocks and boulders that are being pulled out which, in, for my definition, this is what the land is about. It's soil, you know, rocks, and all these things. But then they are getting replaced by steel and concrete. You know? So you get all these masses of steel coming from Turkey and China that are sort of coming to replace the, the original, or the sort of old sensibility of what land means. And sort of that's, so that's what fed this sort of piece that is called... <laughs> 
replacements, where on one side you have all the sort of land that is being dug out, uh, replaced by all that sort of concrete and steel that is going into the land and is the future definition of land. Sorry, it's not two pieces. This is on the back, no? It's the reverse side of yeah. the other. Sorry, it took um, me a while to figure it. I'll just sort of move forward so yeah, that when yeah. we start talking yeah. about working together, then... <laughs> <laughs> no, so we started Tree Collect, which is a little bit dormant at the moment because we got overwhelmed with our own practices. Um, I've also recently just stopped uh, teaching part-time, which I've done on and off for 10 years, and five years with very focused art and design, which is a big move for me personally as an artist, but also for us living together and having to cope with readjusting uh, our movements. But Three Collect came about because we basically saw a, um, a gap in, in the Nairobi art scene in terms of uh, curatorial practice, but we didn't want to get into curatorial practice. <laughs> Um, but we wanted to see if we can put on some exhibitions that have a bit more content-driven, less commercial of out output, no commercial output actually. And um, yeah, so this is just this is the sadly it's only the Goethe Institute that we've worked with in this realm, because um, that's an institute that's interested in funding um, work that's not commercially driven. Um, but sorry, hop. You want to say anything, honey? Yeah, the, the, um, I worked in a gallery for about nine years uh, before sort of quitting to sort of just focus on, on my own practice. And within that period of time, then there's, like she mentioned, there's all these sort of gaps of um, uh, connecting the practice of, you know, the role of the artist and connecting that to audiences and intellectuals and all these other people that are not um, within the creating space. So uh, we thought it would be a great idea to sort of uh, um, get together, uh, Miriam and I and a friend of ours who is now in Australia, to form this sort of collective that engages the curatorial practice, uh, not necessarily to become curators, but just to engage that practice. Um, and one of the first things that we did was obviously just focus on ourselves. So uh, yeah, the earliest slide you saw was, um, what, you know, um, uh, an exhibition of uh, my work that was curated by Three Collect. Yeah, but also, I mean, to highlight, it's, it's the Goethe Institute that wanted to do a, a retrospective on James, which didn't quite make sense to us. Um, and this, this was what uh, was the output of that show. But I know, you know, it's because we know each other, then James gave me like two th 22,000 images to look at which if we hadn't known each other and we didn't have that relationship, I don't think he'd give Koyo 22,000 images to look at. So there's a, a pro and a, and a con to that. Um, and the second artist was um, Budhya Miner, who's a fantastic artist, um, also living and working in Kenya, um, and struggles a lot with uh, having to commercialize his work because he's actually a very forward thinker. He's always kind of 10 years ahead of everybody in our art scene, in the way he thinks. Um, and so we focused on his previous installations um, that he's produced in the past, and, and this was a series, and it was a journey um, through that. <coughs> okay, and then, yeah. Um, if I may uh, interrupt you mm -hmm. a little bit or introduce this idea of, uh, of collaboration. I mean, you have... 
very specific form languages that you develop. I mean, Miriam's your work is very clearly rooted into this performative, mm -hmm. uh, uh, process-oriented uh, production, whereas uh, uh, James, you, you, I read in your work, I can see in your work also a kind of uh, archival documentary form in terms of photography and uh, following certain, certain issues like the land, the transformation uh, uh, that is going on. I, I wanted to know actually how much of, uh, of that kind of uh, uh, mutual cross-pollination that, that is, is also at the root of your collaboration before going into the collaboration that you, you just did last year together. Um, I, um, I, I, you know, I went to a school. Uh, my background is in design, uh, like Koa mentioned. Um, but the practice of art is something that came um, when I sort of got into this gallery and started sort of investigating the, the, the idea that I could actually just be an artist. Mm. Because that's something I always wanted to do, but access to art school is always you know, a complex thing, you know, at least by us. Um, I met Miriam in the gallery, um, and she asked me a couple of questions, which she, she says I couldn't answer. Yeah. Of course I could. <laughs> um, but um, you were not willing to answer, which James still often does. Well, I, you know, <laughs> not um, only to me. <laughs> and you know, um, we we sort of started conversing about being an artist or what being a practitioner of art is. And obviously, Miriam came from um, a sort of an art school background. Uh, so our approaches were totally coming from sort of different spaces. But I think the important thing is our, uh, sort of ab our abstract sort of imaginations are, are aware of where we want to take our ideas to sort of were quite similar. Yeah. So in many ways, we started feeding each other with thoughts and structural sort of um, structural um, processes of uh, uh, creating. Yeah. Um, I, I remember Miriam often would tell me, oh, you know, you, you should look up the, you know, I'd talk about some ideas and, oh, you should look up this person. And I was like, no, no, I, I don't want to look up that person because I guess that's sort of what education or schooling sort of gives you, those tools. Uh, you know, look at this person, da, 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 da. But my process is very much, yes, I could look up that person, but I'm not interested in that person. I want to marinate my idea, and when I'm ready to look at this person, then I can look at that person. Um, but then over time, it's, you know, this, my sort of, my process started sort of going towards the center of, you know, merging those two ideas. Again, some of, most of my early works, when I started this about 10 years ago, um, I would not think of an idea that I want to work on this specific subject. I would just go and sort of do what I have to do, and then later review what is it that I've been doing, sort of in a way to investigate myself, what is it that I'm interested in. Yeah, and I used um, to be a bit the opposite, and now I'm slowly also feeling my way. I used to be quite regulated, and I know Lavinia thinks I still am. She's there putting her eyebrows at me. <laughs> but it's much less than, than what it was, which I think is also an influence. Um, and just accepting that there are very many different ways of looking at things. I think opening up to that more and more strengthens, has strengthened my practice 
And I think it's interesting that there's this idea that there's, there's not a, one formula. I mean, it's the same thing we came across when we, we worked with Buddha Minor, is that actually this, this format of an exhibition doesn't work, f work for him, but, but what, do we, what do we do? How do we present, present it? Should it be presented in his, in his mother's home up country? And is that the work? Is, why, why does the show have to be in this, in this format? And I guess, yeah, building new platforms that, yeah, but how to do that without, and knowing the influences and being conscious of them. That's always tricky territory. Your work seemed to be very outward looking, looking at the issues of land, looking at the urban transformation, the move from the rural to the, to the urbanity, the, the, the conceptual, the, the, the public sculptures and so on. Mm. And, and your work is totally the opposite. It's a kind of inward looking, it's intimacy, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's feelings, mm. it's, uh, it's the translations of that feelings into a kind of performative language mm. that, is, uh, uh, that is presented or translated uh, into, into a work. How do you, in your, in your collaboration, how do you bring that, these two quite distinct mm -hmm. um, methods of working together and how does it blend into a production? Yeah, it's, it's, it's only done, well, we've only worked collaboratively formally once where it's very visible mm -hmm. that that happened. Um, but in terms of, I think what's interesting is a collaboration that's not so formal and how that happens. Um, I know it's, it's easier for me to answer the one with the Welcome Collection just because this, this, this image is part of that project that we did that was a formal one. But a lot of people who've seen um, these, these series of photos often say it's got this emotional uh, current and yet it has this very um, typical James, I don't know how to describe it. What did uh, Ulf say that time? Like typical way of kind of, it's photograph and it's, so that was he. I mean, the feedback we got on that, those is that it was, it did merge. Maybe the next one can give you another. That you you get that emotion, but it was a little bit more balanced. Um, I don't know if that that this is coming from. An, I mean, answering your question from a very a formal collaborative project, where we often had to kind of. Uh, define each other's words, because also uh, I remember we'd record what, uh, our conversations to share with the curators, and you know, James's definition of something, the same word and mine was completely different, and we'd spend about half an hour figuring out, okay, that's how you perceive that word, this is how I, now we can finally get on to the next, the, the actual work bit. And we did a lot of that mm. too, because the way we see things are very, uh, the way we understand a word is also very different. Um, so I think the formal collaboration forced us to actually define, define. oh, you're seeing it that way, and I'm seeing it. So, okay, so now I've understood, let's go to the next. I think in, 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 a, in an organic way, we do that much more organically, that happens. Um, I don't know how to describe it. I think also, I mean, getting to the, you know, we were invited to sort of submit proposals to be part of this project. Mm -hmm. And initially, we were actually competing for the same project, and we didn't talk to each other. Um, it was that competitive. Um, but then when we went to present some of our ideas to this sort of group of scientists, um, when we were leaving, we sort of, sort of half implied to each other, you know, we should talk about possibility of working together. And we sort of said, okay, we have to formalize this process. We can't just sort of 
get to sort of collaborate just for, the sake, for emotional reasons. We just have to be practical about it. And we wrote reasons why we should collaborate. And one of the key ones is if, you know, if she gets the project, she's going to talk about it to me anyway, and vice versa. So we thought we might as well propose uh, to make a collaborative work. But it wasn't only that, because we did separate presentations, but we were in the same room. This also often happens, you know, it's like people say, oh, but we can, you know, drive you there together because it's then it makes sense because you're there together anyhow. Then you end up presenting in the same room together, even though if you actually uh, individual artists, which we were at that point, you would have been driven down separately, right? That's just yeah. totally stupid. Like, why would you do that yeah. <laughs> when the people are in the same place at the same time? Yeah. Um, so we got to see each other's presentations as well, and there were points of overlap um, in, in, in an area to do with perception and how people interact with, with each other. That was, I think, we both had similar ideas to that. So that was also the catalyst for starting to yeah. think, okay, maybe we should do this. Yes. And in terms of form, for example, this work here was... Um, part of what came out of an installation. Now, this, and this is where you know, the practicals of our collaboration really match very well, because I work with photography a lot, Miriam works with the performative work a lot, and the emotional. And this work uh, involved building a photo studio as an installation, as an art piece, and getting people to come and, in a way, perform and get a photograph of themselves within that performance. So it's a very practically emerging two ways of working, um, which, you know, luckily we came, you know, we went through this um, collaboration and somehow we survived that. Um, and I think part, part of it is because, I mean, before this, we had known each other for at least six, seven years. And within those seven years, then ideas and ways and methodologies of working you know, you know, we were each, each of us was aware of um, the other's ways of working. Can you tell us a little bit more about mm -hmm. this uh, wonderful project? I think that the audience will be very interested in knowing more about the Layers project yeah. and mm -hmm. the collaboration within yeah. a scientific institution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, more of the content of it, not yeah. just the form and the collaboration mm -hmm. of it. Well, we were um, artists in residence at a place called Kemri Welcome, which is based in Kilifi, Kenya Medical Research Institute, involved mostly in, in, well, in health research and with a high focus on malaria. Um, and our interest was in seeing the connection and the relationship between the researchers and the community or the people they would research on or need blood samples from to, to do their research and how do they negotiate um, or communicate with each other and the dynamics of that. Um, and the outputs were several different kinds of outputs. Pata Picture, which is this work, was just one, one series of that output. Um, and uh, we got to build this, the, the studio in Kilifi Town, which is a very um, small uh, township along the coast of Kenya which is also a contrast because you have an international research facility, which is ultra-modern in, in a very contrasting space. Um, and then not in a capital city like Nairobi, where it would just kind of be swallowed by all the other big buildings. Attention, please. An incident has been reported in the building. Please leave immediately. By the no, 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 don't move. Exit. Don't move. Do not this happened. Yes, this yeah. happened yesterday. Don't move. <laughs> 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 
Okay. Uh, can I, someone from Somerset House, excuse us, I think there is a bug in the security system because this happened yesterday and there was nothing like that. Uh, I thought it was fixed. Is anyone here from Somerset House that can tell us if we really have to leave or if it's just the bug that is going back? Yes, please. Sorry. Is this the hard work? Yeah. Yeah, about this modern uh, uh, facility in that uh, area. Yeah, the contrast. Okay. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I just saw Sam and now my head's gone the other direction. Because Sam was the curator in Nairobi for this, this project. Will that happen every day, Sam? Excuse us. Please. Sorry. Sorry. Um, uh, okay, so the, yeah, the contrast in, in Kilifi with this ultra-modern building and this rural environment, and um, we got a chance to build the studio in Kilifi, and, and it was in a kind of a street, a busy street. This was just an, a shop that hadn't yet turned into a shop, um, and that was a totally different experience than building it in Nairobi, where it was in a museum-type space, and again, totally different where it was in London, also in like the Welcome Collection. So. The, the questions that people had, well, I found the most interesting were in Kilifi. People were way much more open to asking questions and in, in, in becoming part of the work, which was the main point. So it was also interesting that in, a, in, a, in that kind of a space, there was much more dialogue than in an institutional space. I think it's also important just to quickly mention that the, the, the project was also special in the fact that it had a, an international curator, Daniel Olson, but also Sam Hopkins, who we got to choose as artists, uh, we were invited to, choo to uh, choose a, a curator, which also doesn't often happen. So we were invited to choose a curator for the Nairobi-based project, and um, uh, Sam Hopkins was the Nairobi-based curator. Sorry, my mind went there and I mentioned his name because he's here, so I thought I should just clear that up before moving on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and there's different elements with, the, with um, I guess, education, Money and power, um, context, belief, belief systems, having the freedom to explore, um, or thinking do you have the freedom to explore. We found those elements kept coming up in our interviews. Um, so we tried to bring those into the work with the, the blue school desk and the lab coats. And people could choose which lab coat they wanted to wear and would obviously be guided through well, this is an option and this is why these are the options. Yeah. And I think it was also a great opportunity to engage the public um, yeah. in, in work um, and not only to, um, uh, to, to go into a community and uh, do what you have to do and just move out. So I think in, in involving people and asking people to come and be part of an artistic process, I think um, was... I'm very interested in sort of um, education and exposure and... Um, so, sort of um, involving people in spaces where they have no access to all these sort of com contemporary practices. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, for example, people would say, but you're an artist, why, why sort of are you building a photo studio? Is that, is, that, is that art and how does that? So, you know, we spent a lot of time sort of talking about what art is or what is the space of art in communities and in our spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and learned a lot also. That element of education, if I, I may go back to what you mentioned earlier, the, the, I mean, using curatorial practice or using the methods of curatorial mm-hmm. practice in order to sort of bring into the Nairobi art scene uh, a, a different presentation, mm-hmm. methods of presentation or engaging with art. Mm-hmm. Do you consider that... Uh, you, you live in an environment where uh, these, I don't like the word alternative, but different mm-hmm. forms of presenting and engaging with art do not exist. And that you have this kind of duty as an artist to create them. I, 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 yeah. mm-hmm. I, I often feel that, you know, because of the commercialization of the art as a as a as a practice there's um, there's all this infrastructure that has to be built that is supposed to represent art or is supposed to identify what art is so you know there's people who will think that they are the first ones to make performative work in the streets of Nairobi for example but i do believe there's people who have always done that it's just that it's never been packaged as, as, um, as an art piece, or it's not been presented in a formal art space. And that, you know, that is something that um, I'm really interested in investigating a lot, to see uh, what does that mean for sort of alternative sort of careers for people. Um, um, about three months ago, I went to a very sort of small sort of neighborhood in the coast of Kenya, to document, you know, some people who use traditional crafts uh, of weaving. And we had wonderful conversations, you know, beautiful people. I don't want to paint this romantic image of the space, but it's quite beautiful. Um, But one of the ladies told me, it's great that you are here and uh, you're sort of taking pictures of us or filming us, and maybe some people will, will help us because we are poor. And that really hurt me because... This, you know, I spent, you know, so much of my time going all the way down there to document something that I think is wealth. But these people are not aware that this is wealth they're holding. In the, you, know, in the, it, you know, people are not conscious of their creativity or they're not conscious of how much they have with themselves. And that is what sort of, um, um, I think, has to be cultivated, um, especially within our own communities, so that people are aware of what, what that is, what it means, what they can do with it for themselves, but not wait for others to come and um, sort of tell them this is what is important for yourself. It seems to be a historic thing in Nairobi and in Kenya. Wait to be told what to do. <laughs> I guess it's not only Nairobi and Kenya. I, I would like you to, to speak a little bit about uh, more actually about this project. Um, I, I noted, I, I, uh, I made some notes about, uh, you, you refer to process. I, I want to find out if it's a kind of a chronology of uh, how you work when you mention process, observing, discussing, mm-hmm. engaging, mm-hmm. reflecting, doing, making, and writing. How does 
those keywords sort of operate with each other? Uh, is there a kind of a hierarchy or is it a kind of a mix or is it what is the chronology, especially because writing comes at last? Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, James was very adamant that we, uh, in, in the collaboration, uh, his request was that we do audio tapes uh, and taping our conversations because um, the process of writing, I guess, you start to edit and filter. Um, and we've often talked about developing a, a sound library rather than a book library. It just seems to make more sense for our context. But um, I don't know if you want to yeah, add I, I just, why, you, I, why you had that. I, fe I feel um, I, I don't like to read much. Um, that means I may not like to write that much. Um, but I like to look a lot and to, to hear and to, just to observe. And I do feel that it's possible to create another channel of knowledge transmission and storage using images and observation. And that is actually one of the big things I'm building. Uh, you know, how, how, is it, how, how can we build libraries of, of knowledge that are based on images and visual, visual narratives? Yeah. You know? And I find them all important, but I think that there's an imbalance and, and we could start to balance that a bit more. Yes. Um, you know, like in many, many cities, I mean, p people in Nairobi spend a lot of time sitting in traffic, uh, walking and doing all sorts of things. And there's all these things that they're looking at. And I think it's possible to use that as a space, uh, public space and also as a private space for knowledge transmission. Now, the, the chronology in that book was, in one way, educational, because we wanted to say, as artists, you know, after speaking to these people in Kilifi, who are asking, what is art? What is the practice of art? Is this art, you know, photographing people? Is that art? So we wanted to, in a way, through this publication, um, sh show people how our process, what is our process in coming up with the images that you just saw. Yeah, and I so, mean, our, our first uh, day in the science lab, where we, you know, eating lunch, uh, a lab technician comes to us and says, oh, you guys, are you going to start drawing, you know, drawings of mosquitoes? And it was like, oh, okay, we really have to explain what, what we're going to do here. Mm. Or, or even the fact that we didn't actually know exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted to find out first from people what's going on in the space. A lot of the time, coming from the science background, they're like, well, what, what, what are you doing? Tell us. And we were like, well, we don't know what we're doing. We wanted to find out what you're doing. And then we, from there, we can find out what we're doing. And to them, they were like, what? What is this now? This doesn't make sense. You need, to, you need to know what you're doing. And it's like, no, it's okay not to know what you're doing for a while. Let's just see where it takes us. And that was just a completely different um, way for them to get to, to access a form of research. Yeah. Um, so I, we felt also it was important to produce a book um, that would share those insights of how we work because people are often very um, like you know horses with blinders on. They, this is the, this is the way it's supposed to do. This is the way it's been done. This is how you should do it. Yeah. Um, Your work has a, a very strong uh, element and character of education of kind of you know showing people or your viewers uh, or bringing certain, I mean, different kind of seeing and uh, perceiving and, uh, and understanding. I, ho I wonder how the, the history of your country 
is, uh, is, uh, has an influence also mm -hmm. in your work and spe specifically, I mean, you mentioned this uh, uh, element of uh, reality of land or the, mm -hmm. the transformation of land, mm -hmm. the urbanization of uh, rural areas mm -hmm. more and more. And uh, uh, I mean, Kenya has been going through a, a, a lot of political turmoil mm -hmm. uh, recently and the rise of terrorism, the shababs and mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it is uh, art's role to, uh, to educate and to address those issues or how, do you, how does that influence your, your practice? For me, I think, um, I think if we have to use all sorts of tools available to um, bring people's conscience into, you know, to, to, to look at what is happening around them. And I think art in itself cannot be left out. Sorry, I'm just going to go back a little bit to mention about this project because it was within a science research institution. And one of the things that we had to insist severally is that art is not a communication tool for science within this project, within mm. this. Because a lot of, you know, the Kenyan system, art has always been used as a communication tool for other uh, genres of practice. But art in itself is an intellectual practice, and it has to be looked at as that. It's a parallel to other practices. Mm -hmm. Now, um, historically, we haven't had um, artists, um, especially visual artists, engaging, um, uh, you know, the, the political and social uh, um, issues that are happening. Um, we are a country that has been pushed very much to think of tourists. You know, we, we're bringing tourists from everywhere, you know, to see the animals or whatever they're coming to see or the beach. So people have adopted this idea that um, things have to be done for visitors, not themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that is very destructive. Um, so a lot of, there's a lot of art in the past that has been produced specifically to feed the expatriate market yeah. and the sort of uh, the touristic market. Yeah. But more and more with sort of uh, contemporary gadgets, you know, phones and or internet and access to all these things, that is transforming rapidly because younger people are having the opportunity to look at what other people are doing around the world and, you know, absorb some of that information. And also they're able to share what they're doing and sort of um, get educated sort of organically. I think artists, sorry, just to interject, artists also slow, like, I feel like a lot of the time artists don't realize their power or their power base. And I feel like there's often a lot of structures that are, are, are in place to maintain that, that lack of, I guess, accepting one's power. Um, so I do find it important to share um, and, and to get people to realize their own power. Yeah. And sorry, there's one more parallel. I mean... You're having an art fair and you've got a, you've got a forum. The, f the forum is, sorry, way more exciting than the art fair in my, for me, because this is like, this is the platform. This is exactly what, answering your question. Mm -hmm. This, this gives us the information. This, this gets us to talk. This gets us to think. Um, so this is more the point. Before I open to the pub, uh, yeah. to the audience, <laughs> I have one last question. I, will, I mean, we didn't really get to talk about all these elements of the collaboration yeah. and the artist couple. That yeah. uh, So you did this first uh, uh, project together. What is your next project? Um, well, we're not sure. 
we're kind of in the middle of uh, figuring out a our how we living and living together, which obviously also domino effects into how we work together. Um, um, we may be working on a project to do with middle class as a topic, but we're really like we're not sure. We actually haven't even responded yet because we have to find out what the point is to work together. If the, if there's a reason and the reason is strong enough, then I would say yes. Mm. But we haven't gotten to a point where we're finding a strong enough reason to say yes. We have to work together on this particular project. Mm. So it could be a project that that only one of us works on. Um, or both together, but we're really in the, in the middle of deciding that or trying to see. But also independently, this um, yeah. project that you. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I'm very interested at the moment in. Uh, I'm going to be presenting a performance in November that's um, looking at the. You know, I feel like the. Yeah, it's for in Kenya, it's for an art fair in Kenya, it's called What's Wrong, Dear Jane. And. Um, I feel like I, I'm beginning to see that Kenyans are kind of open-minded as individuals. But the minute we go into a community or a group, then it gets very conservative. Um, and I'm looking at why that is and what is that, and definitely looking at the, the body, the female body, and what makes it territory for decision-making and pressing on norms, um, but very specific to Nairobi because this piece is being presented in Nairobi for a fair. Um, so that's a little bit on mm. that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I've been doing sort of bits of things that are in a way related but also disconnected. But then in the last couple of months, um, I'm building an envelope for these thoughts that um, are in very many ways connected, which, um, um, you know, the, the entire envelope or the big umbrella is called transmitted nostalgia. Um, and it's basically to review um, what, is, what is happening today and what are people's imaginations today, uh, which has always been fed by the past. Mm. But that, how is that... I mean, this nostalgic sort of imagination of what people are or what they, they perceive themselves to be, how does that build into their potential futures? Um, and this will be broken down into bits from religious practices to um, education to all sorts of small things that feed this big conscience. So that's the thing I'm, I'm getting into now. Um, there is room for questions or comments. Don't be shy. <laughs> Just wait for uh, a mic to come to you and maybe say your name for before you ask your question. Hi, I'm Nick Murphy. Um, I wanted to talk and hear what you thought of here we are in London um, having this great event and as you said, the forum almost being as important, if not more important than the fair in, in mm -hmm. some ways. Um, but it's certainly happening in London. and. Mm -hmm. In light of what you discussed about these, these recent histories of being too oriented around visitors and what's being provided for visitors, as well as James, as you mentioned, people not thinking enough of what they have to offer um, in Kenya as opposed to what they're told they have to offer, mm -hmm. what then is the role of an international community of artists or curators coming into Kenya and working there, whether in residency or in collaboration with you? 
Um, well, the thing about um, um, you know the infrastructure of art is um, there's the education and there's the society and there's that interaction that has to happen within. Um, there's a lot of international, quite a few international curators that have come through Nairobi looking at what is going on there and engaging some artists uh, on their practice. Um, when I come out here is when I'm able, for some reason, I'm able to see Nairobi or my society much more clearly because then I'm interacting with people who have different ideas or they're thinking on different channels or they're looking at things in, a, in a different ways from what a lot of people in Kenya are looking, uh, well, very different from how people are looking at all these issues in Kenya. And that in a way feeds my, my, um, my imagination, my curiosity, um, um, and what I always do when I get back is try to um, engage people with some of the new thoughts that I've sort of uh, engaged with and sort of cross-pollinate some of these ideas. Because in the end of the day, it's, everything is getting smaller and smaller. You know, it's just that um, we, we imagine we are so highly disconnected. Mm -hmm. And because of that imagination, then people sort of um, recoil and try to look so deeply within themselves that they forget that they have to look, yes, within themselves, but they also have to engage others because there's somebody who might be looking at the same issue just from a different society. So uh, that pollination, cross-pollination is super important, but still it's very important to, to grow something within the society so that the, the, the society itself has something to offer and also more importantly is able to support the artists or the, 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 the creative people that are wanting to work within that society. They're able to get support to do their research, to do whatever they have to do. Mm. And I think also allowing the, 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 the time for the process and not just, oh, product, product, give me, I, I need a product. It's funny, you know, this, this thing with money and product. Um, when you can just give somebody time, um, support for time, not support for an object, um, that's a very different kind of relationship you establish there. And I think it's much healthier in one way. Um, and perhaps also looking at south-to-south uh, -south, uh, collaborations, you know, people say, oh, shit, Latin America is too far. What the heck? You can't do it. All the tickets double the cost. But if you look at Latin American history, and then you look at African history, uh, uh, there's some parallels that can be drawn there. Um, there's, there's so many uh, intricacies that can be connected there. But this, this, this north-to-south relationship is... is uh, the world is so much larger than that. And to allow for that other kind of exploration... Um, and yeah, you know, we are, we are also in charge of our, our thoughts, you, me, and the rest of us, and our actions more so. Anybody else? There are three people. Good. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Tandazani Lakaba. Um, you, in your, James, in your work to do with the land and the transformation of the land, um, I wonder if you, or to what extent you think about Kenya in the context of, of Africa and how, okay, I'm from Zimbabwe, so um, 
economically, we look up to you guys. Uh, I mean, it's there's a lot of growth in Kenya. Every economic example is about uh, how the telecoms are transforming society. The growth is the the statistics are incredible if you really look at at it from an economical capitalist point of view. But um, your work sort of seems to be mourning that, and you you um, you mentioned the the growth of the middle class. Mm. Um, I, perhaps the rest of the continent sees it as a positive, I mean, it's debatable, but can you talk a bit more about that, about Kenya and the context of Africa and what that represents, and if you ever think about that in your work? Absolutely. Um, Kenya in itself is not more than 100 and maybe 20 years old. As a definition? According to who? Ah, okay. As in, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, we can discuss that. But. Never say that again. Yes, it, it's not. We it, don't it, it's agree. not. Mir and I yes. don't agree. And the reason I say that, the reason I say that, beyond that, Kenya in itself, as a unit, it's not there. It didn't exist. Okay. It didn't exist. It was a continuous. Uh, um, um, it was a continuous sort of space, physical space, which had other much smaller sort of communal living spaces. So Kenya itself, the way it's defined, is something, it's just a very recent phenomenon. The definition. The definition of that. And I recently had a huge discussion with somebody from Tanzania next door about visas and why, you know, because I don't think we need all this visa and all this, I think people should be able to move freely. But he thinks At otherwise. Least in Africa. At least in Africa, <laughs> you know. So Kenyans themselves um, are actually even not. They are struggling with the idea of what Kenya is, and that's why we had. You mentioned about um, us having um, political uh, uh, problems, and those political problems are because we are supposed to be Kenya one. We are supposed to be one unit, yet people don't even know what that one unit is, and that's why in my, you know. It's just a physical, you know, there's communities, for example, the Maasai communities, some that are in Tanzania and some that are in Kenya. So that, in, for me, invalidates the idea of what Kenya is. And I think, you know, it's such a recent phenomenon, that idea of what Kenya is, and that has to be reviewed, and people have to be aware that, you know, it's just a recent thing that happened, and they were supposed to be one... Okay, getting back to... <laughs> um, people need medicine, people need food, people need to be able to move within spaces easily. But they don't need to, move, to do that at the expense of others. And that is where I'm interested in, that's why I'm looking at land. At what point does it become a power tool? So that people, some people sort of own a chunk of land and, you know, and statistic, economical statistic, capital statistics will say this is a beautiful example of how people can move forward. But what that is doing is encouraging others to adopt that model of doing things. But in real sense, it's a model of own, owning something and calling it yours and controlling something. But to control something, it means somebody else is not in control. You see? So yes, it's, people need to develop whatever that means. But on the other hand, don't leave others behind. It has to be you know, inclusive. It has to include as many people. I don't know how to do that, but I can criticize what is going on. Mm -hmm. We have, we can, I think we can take <coughs> two.
two more quick questions because we have to clear the floor for the next panel. Yes, Madame and Monsieur. Hi, my name is Elsie. Um, I'm, I was born in Kenya, but I live here. Uh, my question is, as artists uh, in Kenya, what platforms have you set for all your work to be archived for future generations? <laughs> you go. Good, thank you very much. <laughs> it's a brilliant question, um, but it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't uh, want to talk about the house. Do you, uh, well, we, we can. Um, really? As artists, uh, yeah. we, we, one of the constant struggles we have, that's why, I mean, the art fair may not be exciting, but, you know, sometimes you can make money, yeah? yeah right. uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, one of the things that we, we have consciously planned to do um, is to... We have, we're just finishing to put up this sort of structure, which is a house, uh, land which, which we own. and uh, a chunk of land that, <laughs> that we own. <laughs> but um, the important thing is what to do with all this, because you can have all these structures, but important is what, what, what is the software in that infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and the thing we, we, we are aiming to do next is once this is set, because we, we have to finance it through our art, is to build these sort of small pavilions or platforms where we can invite people who are interesting, who we think are you know, not having the infrastructure to support them, to come and just spend some time with us, live with us. We give them all this material we've been collecting everywhere. Tell them, you know, you can look through all this material, see what you can use for yourself. Let's have conversations. If Koya is coming through Nairobi, hopefully she can delay her flight and come, and we invite other people to come and have discussions, and not just with artists, even people who are in other practices. It, it could be some, I don't know, some scientists or some, I don't know, whoever might have something to say that we think is interesting. So that is something we are aiming to do, to build a platform where we can invite people very informally, like friends, come, let's have maybe food together and have conversations. Because I think conversations feed the soul. And with that, other wonderful things just come through. more con concrete and specific, there, there is a section in, in this house that does have like a, a place for storage but it's it's difficult you know I mean you store it and you don't do you don't use it then what what is what what happens with it it's just dead or I don't know you know there's collections that are collecting work but they're not doing anything with it so what does that happen does, does the work die so but it's very valid to ask and I mean another thing that we've consciously tried to do repeatedly is to work with the National Museum it's, even though it's a really tricky space to work with. It's a very bureaucratic, very political, um, often want to remove your work because they don't agree with, oh, it's a picture showing garbage, now we, the Minister of Tourism's coming, we have to remove it. It's a, not an easy space to negotiate. It's much simpler to say, ah, let's go do it over there, it's done. But we, we also try and do that kind of exhibit because also the people who are coming into those spaces is a different kind of access. Mm. So it's plus and minus, but it's definitely not near anywhere it should be at. And there's ways to change institutions like that. You know, you can stand out and criticize and shout, but nothing will happen. The other way to do it is to get in that system and try to influence the change that you want Inside. in that institution or constipate the system. We can take one last intervention then. <laughs> Hi, my name is Thierry, Thierry Solo. I'm from Cameroon, but I'm live here. Just I would like to know, I would like to know um, what your 
inspiration what and what do you do to move young generation in the same direction where you are not to say uh, maybe not the same uh, not not the same thing but i guess giving i think uh, it's important to pass on tools so that they they find whatever whatever medium platform language works for them uh, that would be more my thing than here this is what i'm doing now you should follow what what that is um, i think it's i think it's tool sets that are important and opening the mind and and confidence um uh inspiration is from all sorts of places um uh i think uh looking at social structures uh looking at relationships um watching uh, i often go and watch people like people watch a lot um but definitely how how people are interrelated um and and this, the the for example so i can give you a quick example is um like this idea uh in Nairobi of uh house help i don't know if there's house, a, house help mm-hmm. is a, a term used maids is another term um live in workers who live in it's very popular in in Nairobi for people to uh, hire people that actually live with them So the structure of their private home changes I think a lot because you don't walk around in your underwear or I don't know what have sex on the living room floor whenever you want it changes the dynamics change um and that person who's who's is leaving their family to live with you in yours and what happens with that and the same with watchmen and um watchmen is like um opening and closing the door this is a, a yeah it's very common but these dynamics i find them very interesting uh and i and i question them and i look at them and and why do they exist and how how do they come about and why is why is it this way and then transplant that also into the work into the work so like between us has a character who who is a house help who does clean the mirror but in a way where the noise is not comfortable um yeah no yeah i think for me the 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 thing that i would sort of try and get to engage people with is confidence a lot of people are not confident about what they're doing and whereas others are overconfident so i think you know that has to be balanced you know i i think historically we're coming from a space our education system is very teacher is there and the teacher knows everything and you listen and that is it and everybody most people 95% are coming from that kind of education system and also culturally our parents you know they say that and you listen and that is that so people are coming from an area where they are told what to do and you listen and you don't know so their confidence was sort of really really squashed you know so what happens with that is when they come out when they have an opportunity to express something they go on the other side and they want to treat other people the same yeah, um you know so they drive like maniacs they drink like you know they do what you know so i think this has to be sort of in a way we have to inspire i feel i feel we have to get people who are getting into the productive life to be aware that even if they are at a position of power they have to, it's it's a very delicate position they have to be very conscious of the other 
and sort of try to promote others to be also as confident and as self-aware as themselves. Also very tricky now if you take us into the context of capitalism and consumerism, which is like, back to her question, you know, gobbled up. It's, that's, it's good to be capitalistic. It's good to, be it's good to own more than you need. And then you know, you are, you've made it. What has happened recently in Europe, you get companies like IBM and Microsoft setting up huge labs, huge labs. And there's a lot of sort of apps and all sorts of things being developed in Nairobi. And one of the things that is driving that is two. One of them is people are skipping a whole area where they, they didn't have all these sort of facilities yeah. available. So they're not going to sit comfortable. So they want to jump straight into the next big thing. But also what is pushing that is capitalism. Because they're told, out of this you can get so much. Mm -hmm. So they go so much into it. So they get very wealthy, but then there's a whole lot of population that is being left with nothing. So that balance has to be managed. It's very delicate. Yeah. But Which also, like this middle class project that we're not sure we're going to do or not, it's, we've seen some houses, some people's homes, and it's really, it's full of a lot of different styles. You know, this style, I like it, I have to have it. That style, I like it, I have to have it. That style, I like it, I have to have it. It doesn't matter if it, it, it's an aesthetic. It's not an aesthetic I may like, but that's irrelevant. It's an aesthetic, and maybe investigating that aesthetic become, is, is of interest. I mean, and James has spoken about that in terms of a, a project he wants to do with gates, the front of a gate and how that, that, that does that look. And also, if we, if we do this middle-class project, that's another thing we'll be investigating, this, this aesthetic. What is this aesthetic, and where does it come from? Thank you so much, James and Miriam. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much for being here. The next conversation is between uh, Jose Bonsu and uh, Ibrahim Mahama, very interesting young artist, up and coming, and young curator. So we would like to, unfortunately, we have to ask you to vacate your seats, but come back if you have signed up for this, uh, for the next uh, talk. And uh, it looks like uh, the talk is not, uh, um, how do you say, sold out. So there is, there is enough space for anyone to come back. Thank you. Thank you.